We're going to read uh, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray one more time here. Lord, just please help in this time. We're looking to you. We need you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for being able to get together and meet uh, both people here and people um, digitally meeting. We're just thankful that we're still able to meet and hear from your word and sing songs to you. We just lift the time up to you. We pray that it would be pleasing to you and helpful. Amen. Well, we're going to cover the same uh, verses as last week. And just kind of to summarize last week's sermon, we talked about how that our heart or our thinking is important and valuable. That God thinks it's important and valuable. We talked about verses from the Old Testament, guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of life. We talked about how our culture even thinks our attention is valuable and they're trying to capture that. And they see it as extremely valuable, our attention. And so if our heart and our thinking is valuable to God, our culture thinks it's valuable, it should be valuable to us. And we should see it as valuable. We need to not only know that it's valuable, we need to pay attention, we said, about where our attention is. And think about it, reflect and examine where we put our attention throughout the day. And this week, basically going to talk about the exact same thing from a different angle. So last week it was basically all rational. Uh, Here's the reasons why it's important. God says it's important. It's obviously important for X, Y, and Z. And that's good. Um, it's good to have reasons. It's good to intellectually understand things. But there's a lot of things in our life that we know in our mind that don't come out in our life. Um, verse 9 it talks about not just knowing these things, but practicing these things. We need to practice these things. Uh, what you've heard and learned and received and seen in me, practice these things. It doesn't say what you've heard and learned, just know it. Um, There's more to it than that. It's kind of like, I'll try and explain it this way, exercise, right? How many people here need a list of reasons why you should exercise that you didn't realize, wow, exercise is valuable, you know? know, Everyone knows that. Um, But how many people exercise? A lot less, right? And so last week, if just the sermon was kind of about exercise, which it wasn't. It would be like, here's seven reasons why exercise is good for you. And that's one way you could, you know, talk to someone about exercise and try and motivate them to do it. But another way would be just to describe how much you enjoy exercising. It's totally different. It's experiential. You're saying, look, this is, it feels good to, when I'm stressed out, it feels really, really good to get out and just run until my legs ache. 
and it helps me. <laughs> and I come back, and I'm in a better mood, and my wife will tell me, hey, you need to go on a run, I think. <laughs> and that just, that's the reality. And that's one way to convince somebody, right, or to share something true with somebody. It's not just rational reasons. It's here's my experience. And so we're going to do the same thing, at least that's the plan today, is to cover the exact same ground we covered last week, which is we should, what, what, what should we think about? We should think about what's true. We should think about what's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there's anything of excellence or anything worthy of praise, we should think on those things. But just talk about it experientially, how sweet and how good it is to think on these things. So let's start with whatever is true. Whatever is true, that's what we should be thinking about. You know that growing up, going to church, I knew I ought to read the Bible. I had the ought to, but I didn't have the want to. I didn't want to read the Bible. It wasn't enjoyable to me. It wasn't something I thought was more valuable than gold or like honey on my lips. It was more like the broccoli that I eat or the spinach that I eat that I don't really like. Uh, Just, well, I ought to, I don't really want to, but it's good for me, I'll go ahead and do it. And that's not what the Bible is talking about, and that's not why we're here today. We're here because we love God. We're not here, the kid, if you're here and you're a kid, we're not telling you to read the Bible because it's an ought to that none of us love to do. It's the opposite. We read the Bible because we love the Bible. The truth, what's the truth? Well, one way we can know the truth, the primary way that we can know the truth is through the Word of God. And we don't just know we ought to. As Christians, we love reading the Bible. The Bible is wonderful. We can say with the psalmist, the Bible's better than gold. The Bible's better um, than all the riches um, that anyone could offer us. The Bible is our food for the day. It's a bread for our soul to get through the day. The Bible is not just what we ought to read. We want to read. We want to know the truth. We want to think about what's true. Why? Because it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's, it's one of the most wonderful parts of our day is to think on Jesus. Think on God. Think on what he said. Think on what is true. And making sense of the world through the truth of the Bible. Whatever is true, there's enjoyment in reading the Bible for the Christian that's beyond um, just knowing we ought to do it. Now, last week we talked about maybe what our culture would say. If there was a list like this for our culture, it might be think about whatever is enjoyable, whatever entertains you, whatever is interesting, whatever is engaging, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you want. That's what you should think about. Very different. Very, very different than the list we have. And let's just compare it. I mean, I've got a, um, I've got a, just to put a comparison up. Here's a book. Uh, it's nonfiction. Um, I'm not necessarily recommending it. It's I like history, but it's uh, about kids in the 1930s that go to the Olympics. It's a it's it's a fine book. It's an enjoyable book. Um, and then there's the Bible, and you can put it in whatever book you like to read. That's not the Bible, or it could be a TV show, or it could be some other place you put your attention throughout the week. You know, one of these. Um, they're both true, in a sense, right? This is a nonfiction book. 
and this is nonfiction book, <laughs> and they're both true, but they're totally different. They're in different categories completely. When we say, think about what is true, and we're thinking about some other place that we put our attention, this book might distract you from your problems for a few hours, might enjoy it, um, but when you're done, you won't be a different person. You'll be the same person. When you're done, the problems that you had, they won't be gone. They'll still be there. The world that you struggle to make sense of, it's no more coherent. But you can distract yourself for a while with this book. The difference between this book and the Bible is so different, it's unreal. That, Or we could say anything. It could be TV. Whatever takes your attention um, can be good, but it does not have the power of the truth of the Bible, of God's word, of what God says to us about the world and what the world really is. If I ask it, maybe I could ask it this way and say it this way. If we just raise our hands, how many of you read, have read a book other than the Bible or watched a movie and afterwards your life was changed forever and you could never go back. It's possible. I mean, maybe you ate McDonald's, you know, every day, and then you watch that documentary about not eating McDonald's every day. I mean, that's, you know, you learn something, it changed your life, it made your life better. For me, and most of the people I know, um, that doesn't happen. I mean, I can't think of anything um, where it changed my life forever other than the Bible. And it changed me personally, totally. I'm different. I'm a different person than I was, I ever was. When I am done reading the Bible, it makes sense of the world that I live in. I can see why the things that are going on are going on. I'm not just coming out of reading the Bible distracted from my problems. I have the cure for my problems in God, my sin, the world, uh, struggling, even struggling with how the world is going on around me, the difficulties. How do I get through this? Well, the Bible is not just a distraction. It's the cure. I come out with the cure. Very, very different. Just like David was saying, kind of describing it like a sickness. If you had a sickness and the doctor said, I can give you a painkiller and you don't feel, feel your sickness for a while, um, or we can cure you, which one would be better? Obviously the cure, right? And that's what the Bible is. The Bible's the cure for our problems. It's not just distraction. It has power that other f things that take our attention don't have. Power to change us. Power to, for us to know God. Um, we could just go on and on. I'll just give you one example personally. Uh, Psalm 23. I remember becoming a Christian and reading Psalm 23 and, and seeing, wow, no wonder people always talked about this and then they liked it. it there's actually, it's actually really amazing. <laughs> I didn't realize, you know. Uh, I just thought it was something that people talked about, you know, when I grew up going to church. Like, oh, there's, you know, Psalm 23. But the truth in it is wonderful. It's amazing. Um, for me personally, you know, I, the thing that jumps out to me in my life is, and I've talked about this before, I've only got one life, so I should, that's all I can relate really to talk about. Um, so I've shared this story before. I'll just share it again. But, you know, when, 
when Joy was born, Jess had to have emergency surgery right afterwards. And I was, I mean, it was really hard, you know. Um, it's hard when you can see the doc, like the worry on the doctor's faces. Like when the doctors are like upset and like, then you like start getting worried. At least I do. And they took her back. I couldn't go with her. And I went into the bathroom and I was crying, of course. Um, and there was also, you know, stuff wrong with joy, but, um, and I just prayed part of Psalm 23. I just said, God, I know you're my shepherd. I know you're a good shepherd and I trust you basically over and over. Um, and it got me through and it was real and it was substantive and there is nothing else in my life and in my experience that takes my attention that could have done that, right? Like the books I read, I didn't go into the bathroom and watch a YouTube video or whatever. I went and talked to God about who he really is and who I know he is to me and for us, for our family, that he's my shepherd, he's a good shepherd, and that I can trust him wherever he leads. And that is so different. Um, than spending my time reading a book that is fictional, that maybe is interesting, but is not going to get me through, you know, thinking my wife might die, you know. Um, I'll give you a, a quote here from Spurgeon from about Psalm 23. This is really, really good. Um, just talking about the power in the Bible, in the truth of the scripture, specifically he's talking about Psalm 23. He's describing it as a, as a pilgrim going out and speaking truth. So it's kind of a, a metaphor. But this pilgrim, Psalm 23, God has sent to speak in every language on the globe. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has re- remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has, it has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner, the broken in his chains, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom whom dying he left behind, mourning not so much that he was gone as they were left behind and could not go to. Nor is its work done. It will go on singing to your children and my children, to their children, through all the generations of time. Nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended, and then it shall fly back to the bosom of God from whence it issued." And sound on, mingled with those sounds of a celestial joy which make heaven music forever. I mean, it's amazing. It's just one psalm, what it's done. I mean, that's one story from my life, you know, but how many thousands and millions of people have found comfort in times of exceedingly difficult circumstances through the truth of the Bible and even just one psalm. You probably have verses that have done that for you in your life. Uh, passages so whatever is true we want to think about it not just because we know we ought to 
but because it's wonderful, because of the power of the Word of God, because of the reality, because of what it does to our hearts, because of God. God spoke, and we want to know what he said. So what else? Not only do we want to think about what is true, think about the Bible, think about who God is, what he said to us, there's more here in this list. Whatever is honorable, commendable, and praiseworthy. I'm going to group all those together. Honorable, commendable, and praiseworthy. All saying basically one thing, which is, here's something good, how it ought to be, something that is worth lifting up. Think about that. And what is it really saying here? It's saying that we all have an idea of what is ideal. What is the ideal? What is the perfect? What is the person you want to be in 10 years? What is the person you're looking for as a spouse? What is, what is the ideal of a life? What should it look like? What, what's the storyline of the perfect life? And what is the, sto- the character of a perfect person? We have an ideal in our mind, whether we think about it or not, consciously. The world would say that the ideal, the perfect, and the valuable would be the person who's smart, maybe beautiful, rich, successful, popular. I think those are values that our culture would espouse as the ideal. You're, you're rich, you're famous, you're successful, you're, you're pretty, you're smart, That is the ideal. That's the ideal life. If you can retire at 40, you know, if you can um, make a million dollars, that's what people want to be like. And kids may not even realize that's what they're thinking. If only I could be as pretty as so-and-so, then I would be happy, or that that would be ideal. But everyone's got an ideal. Everyone knows that they want to be something more than they are right now, and they're searching, and they're moving towards that and we need to think about it whatever is honorable commendable praiseworthy well where do we find that again the re- the reality we go back to the truth part we have to have our mind shaped by truth to know what the actual ideal is you know we could talk about biblical manhood and womanhood what does it mean to be a good man or a good woman what does it mean to be a good dad or a good mom or a good employee. We've got to think about our ideal and have it be shaped by the Bible. What's the, what's the Bible's ideal? Let's just pause for a second. How miserable is it to have that ideal the world offers us? Smart, beautiful, rich, successful, and popular. Or just two out of the five. I mean, if, you, if you're rich and smart, but you're not beautiful, that's okay too, probably in the world's eyes. So to, no matter what it is, what it's done is it, it's made success or the ideal unreachable for 95% of the, of the U.S., right? I mean, what if you are a C student, right? What, what if you're not going to make a million dollars? Most people, not everybody gets on the A on roll. What if you're not beautiful? What if you don't become popular? You're miserable, right? You did a per- the thing you want to be, the thing that's valuable, you know you're not. That's horrible. What does the Bible say? 
The Bible says the ideal, the honorable, the commendable, the praiseworthy is not actually our external appearance. It's not how much money you have in the bank account. It's not even how successful you are at your job. or how, It's not how smart you are. The honorable, the commendable, the praiseworthy is, one, Jesus. He is our example. But two, he's made a way that anyone can enter into it. It's not just, he didn't say, all you who are beautiful, come to me. All you who are rich, come to me. Anyone can come to him. And they can become what, what made him honorable, commendable, and praiseworthy through his blood and his spirit. We can know God. We can love God. We can have a Christ-like character. We can love others. And that's available to everyone. Anyone. Every person. If your IQ is at the bottom of the normal curve, you can be like Jesus. And you can be exceedingly valuable, commendable, honorable, and praiseworthy. That's amazing. That is so amazing. What, what an amazing thing. And we know that. I mean, you know this, and I know it, and even the people that are espousing these other values know that they're false, right? And working at the school district, you know, I would sit in the classroom and sometimes it would just hit me like, they don't know what's valuable. Like, we're missing the mark completely. Because in general, in the the school, you know, public school, the the target is competence. We want everybody to know things. And I was just sitting there thinking and watching the kids as a special ed teacher. I pushed into classrooms. So it it was very interesting because I would sit kind of in the back and the teacher would teach and I would help other students but I could really observe what all the kids were doing what the teacher was doing and it hit me you know watching these kids and watching the teacher and seeing the kids kind of sneak around and different things like that Um, you know kids would pull out their phone when the teacher wasn't looking and you know all that kind of stuff realizing if, if we succeeded and what our aim is, which is getting everybody to be at or above grade level, you know, um, we couldn't trust any of these kids. And I wouldn't want any of them to be my doctor. Or I wouldn't want any of them to be my lawyer. Because I don't trust them, right? We've taught them that success is knowing all the right answers. And if your character is bad, we haven't, that's okay. That's not, that's not what success is. Success is getting a 30 on your ACT or whatever. Um, and sometimes I would ask my kids in my classroom, I would say, you know, what's more important? You know, and I would ask them and I would say, would you want a doctor that you couldn't trust that was really smart? They'd be like, no, I'd, I'd actually want them less if they could outsmart me and I, and I didn't trust them. So the reality is, is even the people who, who value these things know, apart from character, apart from being able to trust someone, you've missed the mark. No matter how smart or rich you get. Um, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be. We want people to be able to trust us. We want to be loving to people. We want to love God and know God. We have to think about what is the ideal, and think about just the the ramifications of the end of this chapter. It says, "And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you." 
think about how much of a lack of peace you would have if your life is spent thinking about how you wish you were rich, beautiful, and successful, and you're not. I mean, there's, there's one way to get no peace pretty easy. Just think all the time about how you fall short and you can't change, you can't change yourself to, to get there. What about the peace of knowing that no matter what, no matter how successful I am at my job, no matter how much money I have in my bank about, no matter how pretty people think I am, that I love God, I know God, and He thinks I am valuable in Him. What peace? The peace of God will be with you. Well, we could go on on that and we could talk about, I mean, even the celebrities and things, people that have all everything on that list, how much of a lack of peace there is. Huge. Um, I saw an interview, one example, Dennis Rodman, uh, one of the, I think they said, top ten recognized people in the world. He said something in the interview, at the end of the interview, something like, you would think if you were one of the most famous people in the world, you'd be happy. <laughs> That's all he said. It's like so miserable. And you can, you know, if you know anything about Dennis Rodman is rich, successful, you know, NBA Hall of Fame, totally miserable, totally lack of peace. Um, he needs Jesus, right? Um, what a joy and what, what a blessing, what God has given us in his word, the reality, the truth of what, what it means to be pointed in the right direction, Know what is commendable, lovely. Sorry, not lovely. We're not quite to that one yet. Commendable, praiseworthy. Think about Jesus. Think about how we want to be like Jesus. Whatever is just. Whatever is just. Let's do that one next. Same word for righteous. It could say whatever is righteous. We want to think on those things. Very similar, just tie, tying it into what we just talked about. Righteousness is commendable. Righteousness is honorable. Righteousness is valuable and praiseworthy. We want our kids, we want to trust our kids. We want, if you're a child, we want to be able to walk out of the room and you not do what you know you're not supposed to do. I would much rather have a, have a kid that was a D straight, actually, I'd rather have a kid that's a straight F student they do their best, and they just can't. They just can't, cannot get it. But I can trust them than a straight A student who I can't trust. And that's the same with God. God wants you to know what is right and to do it. Um, think about Jesus again. How He's the fulfillment of this. Jesus Christ, our righteousness. How how wonderful we've got God wanted us so much to know what it looks like to be a righteous person, to see what righteousness in a sinful world looks like. He came down to show us. That's an amazing gift. Something to think about. Really ties into the last one, so we'll keep that one short and we'll move on to the next one. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is lovely. Now, this is a little bit different, and I just briefly mentioned this last week. God has put so many wonderful things in your life. 
you you really 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 need to think about them and enjoy them because if you don't um i i wonder and i said this last week i wonder if the reason people are running to entertainment and tv and and all these other things so much and they spend pour so much of their time and energy into them is simply because they don't enjoy the things god's already given them if you're sitting on your couch and your kids they're playing and you don't get down and play and enjoy and and laugh and you just sit, of course you're going to be bored, you know? It's like you're not entering into the wonderful thing God's given you to do. And so what do you do? You turn, well, I've got to find enjoyment somewhere else. I'm going to turn the TV on or whatever. When you could be entering into something even better, right? That's already right there that God has given you to do. Not to say that's wrong to turn the TV on, but just as an example, if, if you never play with your kids and you're always looking for stimulation somewhere else, that's a problem. We want to enjoy. We must think about the lovely things God has commanded us here. Think about lovely things. Think about all the lovely things that God's put in your life all around you constantly. Think about the trees, the moon, the sky, all these things around us that we can just go through our day without just looking at and, and enjoying. Well, what, what a lovely thing a tree really is. What a lovely thing to see the moon rise at night. It's amazing. And kids help. I mean, because they're like, what is the moon? You know, it's it's just the wonder of it hits you again. It's like, oh yeah, that is really amazing. Uh, how the trees lose all their leaves, you know, and it's awesome. Um, God has put beautiful things all around, lovely things, and let's enjoy them. Let's not rob ourselves of all the good things, and let's run that, like we've talked about before, run the sunbeam back up to the sun and praise God. He's the, he's the author of all these things, and we can say, God, these are wonderful things, and praise him for it. Exercise, we already talked about, exercise is a wonderful thing. If you don't exercise, you're missing out. Um, it's, it's good, uh, and it's clean, it's pure, um, and it's enjoyable. I'm just going to list off just a few things. This is just more me personally, um, but wood floors, fire in the fireplace, sitting down to dinner with your family, Christmas lights, just the sound of water. God made water sound really good. I mean, <laughs> it just has a wonderful sound. Water dripping, it's, I don't know how to, how to describe it, but it makes a, it's a very, I don't know, somebody with like more of a musical ear could describe it, but it's very, it's got a great tone to it. Um, there's just so many things that God has made that's just just wonderful, lovely, that we should think about. God wants us to. That's, that's great. I'm very thankful that God, God didn't say, you know, <laughs> how horrible would this verse be sad, you know, um, if it was more like the Stoics version of, of life, be indifferent to the world, you know. It doesn't say that doesn't say be indifferent. It actually says think on the lovely things. That's awesome. How much joy should we have as Christians more than the, than the world? Um, not only do we, can we enjoy the things of the world, we can enjoy God himself who gave us those things. So think about that. Um, whatever is lovely. Well, last one. Uh, Pure, whatever's pure. 
I'm going to make sure I didn't miss any here. Whatever is just, lovely, commendable, any excellence. Whatever is pure. Well, let's think about the two sides of this pure. You know, there's really, it's, it's more complicated than it seemed to me at, at the beginning, pure. Because when I hear pure, um, at first I just think free from impurity. So it's like, you know, a piece of gold and there's nothing else in there. Okay? Or I think here, water and there's nothing dirty in the water. Or I think a shirt and there's no stains on the shirt. Well, that's true. That's part of it. There's a second layer, though, to purity. Um, not just not being... There's really th- Those really have t- two ideas. One is unmixed. So there's not, there's, it's not purity mixed with impurity. But there's a second thing that, that kind of comes into it, which is, well, for that to be the case, you have to know what the pure thing is, right? Does that make sense? It kind of goes back to truth and, and righteousness like we already talked about. If we don't know what the good thing is that we're trying to be pure, uh, if I say, give me, give me a pure, blah, blah, and you couldn't understand what I said, you couldn't do it, right? You have to know what the thing is you're aiming to give purity for. Does that make sense? And so for us, it's righteousness. We have to know what, what it's talking about. We have to know what is good and what's not good, what's righteous and what's not righteous, what's true and what's a lie. And so all these other things, for us to be pure, we have to have the things we already talked about, truth and, and what is honorable, what, what, is, what is commendable, what is just, what is righteous. We have to have all that to be pure because we have to know what purity we're aiming for. If your philosophy is wrong, for example, you could be... You know, uh, here's a, a bad example. You know, somebody like Stalin, who's an atheist, was he pure in his ideals? Sure. If everybody's just, an, you know, an animal, there's no God, you can do whatever you want. Did he live that out purely? He sure did. But he was aiming at the wrong thing totally, right? You see what I'm saying? You, unless you know what the pure, just, lovely, commendable, honorable, true thing is that you're trying to be keep pure, uh, you can't do it. And so uh, that's kind of complicated, so I thought of an illustration uh, to kind of get both sides of the picture. So this is just a water bottle, but it's um, for, like, camping, um, and it's got a filter on the, on the end. So you can just scoop lake water in, and you put it in. The water inside, I thought about doing it, but it's not clear, so you couldn't see it anyways, but... The water inside could be all disgusting and dirty and and dark. But when I suck through the straw, it comes through the filter and it comes out pure. It comes out clean. It comes out without the impurities. And that's kind of the two pieces. It's what is the pure thing you're trying to get? You have to know that. You're wanting water. But then you you have to strain out all all the other impurities. Um, you have to know what you're aiming at. And that's what they did with the filter, right? They decided, what do we want to let through? What do we not want to let through? And only the water can get through, which is useful. But that's kind of what our lives are supposed to be like. We're not just aiming to be free from impurity, right? Because we could become monks, right? I'm not going to be around anything worldly. We're actually aiming for something higher than that, which is to be able to strain through the impurities and purity come out and a verse is Jude, is like jude where it talks about if there's somebody caught in sin 
It says, snatch them out of the fire, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. See, it's got the idea of purity in that you're not going to be stained, but it doesn't have the idea that you're not going to be around anything impure. You're actually going to be filtering, and you're going to be purifying the world. You're going to be a salt-like influence in the world when you see sin, and you can strain out, this is not true, this is not right, this is not good, and you're helping someone else. And we can be that in our, in our workplace. I mean, if you in your workplace, if people in your workplace know that if they come to you and they talk bad about the boss, that you're going to tell them you know, that you're not going to enter into it. And you can actually become a filter a, that makes the workplace more pure. That if you're at the meeting, they don't talk about. They wait till you leave. Right? That's a big deal. And there's a thousand things like that. If, you're, you know, if your boss knows you're not going to photocopy the book, they buy you the book because you have to teach the lesson, right? And different things like that, you know, where if you know what's right and good, you can actually help and be a purifying influence in the world. Think about for your kids as parents. I'll kind of close with, wrap this up after this illustration, but our job is not just to protect them from the world and no impure thing get into our house. That's part, and especially as they're really young, I think that's a big part of it. But we need to build for them a filter, right? Because if we're the filter, then when they get out into the world, they have no idea what should come in and what should go out. Where's, what's the filter? It's the truth of the Bible, what is right, what is true, what is not true, what is just, what is unjust, what is pure, what is impure. And as they know that, they can they can actually filter for themselves. And we're trying to help them do it. So as we, if we watch a movie and there's something, you know, somebody mean or, you know, hateful or whatever, there's always a villain, it seems like, you start building that filter with your kids. What were they acting like? Were they were acting mean. Is that good? Is that the way you want to act? Is that, is that loving? Is that the way God wants us to act? No. You, the difference is not just stopping them from encountering it all you're building that filter of truth righteousness justice purity and they they can become a filter themselves now back to the application which is what's the result peace what if we are unmixed right un we're pure that we don't let these things in our in our mind that we reject them when they come in we say no that's that's wrong and we focus on the good. We have to be able to do both, reject the impure and focus on the pure. What peace you can lay down your head at night, right? If you are have a clean conscience, if you have done what you know God wants you to do and not done what you know God doesn't want you to do. Peace. What if we what if you could just be yourself and be honest with people and not hide not hide anything? How amazing would that be? I mean, I'll give you two examples. On the one hand, you might have someone, there's a guy in World War II named Barry Goldwater who was a super nice guy, ended up basically giving the atomic bomb plans over to Russia. And it wasn't because he was this really mean guy who was like um, evil, like out to do harm. It was because he was so nice he couldn't say no. And so they kept getting him into doing these things. Well, will you get this for us? Sure. And he couldn't say no. 
And then once they got him in deep enough, he knew that he was going to go to jail for the rest of his life, and he just kept on going. Um, so you could be that guy. You could be not out trying to do evil, um, but you just can't stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. Um, on the other hand, you might be more of an assertive personality. Maybe you're out just saying, I, I'm going to actually do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing I know is wrong, uh, and I don't care. What happens to people is they end up hiding it, right? And you can't be the person that you really are. You're not pure. You're, 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 you're mixed, and then you hide it. What, what a lack of peace. You, you can't be open with people. You, you, people don't really know you. You can't say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you help me? Uh, what do, how do you handle this temptation? Um, would you pray for me? What a lack of peace. But we can have that. Open with God. Open with people. Well, just to conclude, all that is to say, what a joy and what a good, not just ought, not just we ought to think about these things, what a wonderful and good thing it is when we think and live out these things. Peace. The Bible, it's so wonderful. A godly view of, of what an, what a biblical husband or wife or employee is having that, being able to pursue that in Christ, the lovely things in our life, just enjoying them and praising God for them, and purity in our thoughts and in our lives and our actions and in who we are. We're not we're not somebody. We're not pretending to be somebody. We're not. We are who we are. And the influence that can be all wonderful, not just things we ought to do, things we're thankful every day for. And when we lay down our head at night, peace, thankful to God uh, for Jesus who makes all these things possible, who's, who is the one who builds the filter, who's told us truth, who has given us the lovely things, all thanks to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful. For this passage, we're thankful for just the Bible. We're thankful for so many things you've given us, our families. Would you help us to live this out? Not just because we know we ought to, but would you help us to experientially enjoy what you've given us, the truth you've given us, um, having clean conscience, consciences. We want, we want peace as we lay our head down at night. And we ask that you'd help us. We're looking to you for help. We're thankful that you were the perfect example for us and you made a way for us. We do pray for our kids um, in this just age we live in, digital and age and all the things going on. Would you please help us to be able to say this is good and that's not good and that they wouldn't... Um, they would know you most of all. Thank you for this time together. We do pray for um, just you to be with us this week. Amen. Andrew, I had one announcement. Yep, sorry.